0: don't give up now. Don't give up now. It's tempting. Maybe it ain't, Maybe y'all aren't tempted by it, but I sure am. Quite a bit tempted to give up on a lot of things. I, I, looking at this, whatever you think of what we're having to deal with now, and unfortunately it's just become a political mess. It's not even about health anymore, economy, anything. It's just a politics thing. But it still is affecting people. I mean, emotions and, and the the, the spiritual uh, impact that it's had on people. And it's unfortunate, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of end inside it. There's some signs, but it's still like, man, it feels like this thing's gonna go on forever. And we're bombarded with bad news on every side. Um, And to my mind, and I'm just being real negative real quick. To my mind, it seems like the devil's winning a little bit. And I'll mean, i explain it to you this way. I don't believe, I do not believe for a minute that these stay at home orders Um, including the decision of this church to not have public gatherings, I don't believe for a minute that those were demonic or evil in any way. I think they were the right things to do. Uh, If I thought differently, we would have done differently. Um, That said, the economic, spiritual, and even the hypocrisy that comes out of all of that, I believe is demonic. I believe that what we're seeing now is super demonic. It's actually concerning to me, and I don't have a whole lot of evidence to base this on, so just know that this is probably more of a a feeling, but there is a little bit of evidence to this fact that I believe during this period of time that we have as a nation and as Christian people have stepped backwards in some ways spiritually speaking most other bad times difficult situations christians come together they pray together they worship together they love on each other they help each other they strengthen and build each other up now we're not doing that not to the same level as we have in other situations and i say all that to say makes you want to give up if you're listening to what i'm saying you want to quit i know that's what the mind the thing the thing that comes across my mind is like what am i doing it's not even working anymore what's going on So, what are you going to do about that? And I think there's, I I can't tell you exactly the mindset of the people that Peter's writing to, but I imagine because they were under persecution, they had some of the similar kinds of feelings. Man, what in the world? What are we going to do? What do we do? So, Peter, in his closing here, gives them some things they need to do and an encouragement in the last two verses of this passage. Before I read this and go through this, I want to ask the Lord to help us to learn from this and apply it to our lives. Would you, would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Lord, I need your help. These people need your help. Lord, they don't need to hear anything from another person, some talking head who thinks he knows everything. That's not what they need. They need the God of the universe who took the thought, the forethought, to pin down words for them to read. Thousands of years later, they need to hear your voice amplified through this man's voice, through this this word that you've given to us. Please help us to hear your voice and to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He starts off in verse 6 by saying, Don't be so arrogant. And you say, well, I thought you wanted to quit. What are we talking about here? Hang on, I want you to see what he says here. Don't be so arrogant. Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god now if you'll remember verses one through five he talks about how we need to lead in a humble fashion we need to follow our leaders in a humble fashion as well so humility is the is the order of the day it's at the heart that heart of modesty that is humble to know that god is in control that god knows what he's doing and he says uh, paul says over in philippians chapter 4 verse 11 he says it this way he says i have learned In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Meaning, there is a sense in which we know that God's hand is in control here. He's placed us here at this moment, in this situation that we're in. So there ought to be be an attitude of humility that says, God knows what he's doing. And so that's why he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There's a sense in which he's talking about submission, putting ourselves under, submitting to God's uh, mighty hand here. We need to know that God is working, God is at work, and sometimes, if you go back to chapter 3 in verse 17 of 1 Peter, you see this, sometimes God works through our suffering. It is God's will, he says, sometimes. I'm not saying it's always God's will, but it is sometimes God's will for us to suffer. And so he says, don't be so arrogant, instead humble yourself to know that God may well have put you in this time, in this place, in this circumstance, for as... Mordecai says to Esther, for such a time as this, and I actually believe that God actually knows what he's doing. For, I believe this, and my heart sometimes tells me something different. I have to tell my heart, you're stupid, be quiet, but I know for a fact that my God organ, orchestrates and organizes everything so that I'm standing here in 2020 at the, I hope, towards the end of a pandemic in which the whole world has lost its mind and he's asked me to be here for I don't know what his purpose is, but he's got one for such a time as this. So I need to be not so arrogant as to think i got to figure this thing out. God's already taken care of that. God's already taking care of that because in fact he says there we need to humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God That he may exalt you in due time Did you know it is the height of arrogance to think you can figure out your problems and solve your problems? Do you know who is going to exalt you to get you out of your mess? The only one who can do that is the god of the universe Jesus says you can't even add an inch to your height You can't add hair on your head. You can't fix the problems of your life. You can't do any of that stuff. It is only God who is able to do that. He does a better job even if you could do it. Furthermore, I want you to read the next verse. Don't connect these things together. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. In other words, God is the one that's going to lift you up. He's the only one who can solve your problem. So you just need to get off your high horse and let God take care of it. Quit being so arrogant. Let God handle this. Furthermore, because you're in that position of being humble, humility, you can now, verse 7, cast your cares on him. You can take everything that's on your shoulders. It ain't on your shoulders anymore. It's on his. He's the one who's got the mighty hand. You don't. He does. So you say, God, you can handle this better than I can. Here you go. And you can just toss it on him. Furthermore, I want you to see this. We always look at the first part of verse 7, casting all your care upon him. That's wonderful. I can throw my cares on the Lord. But don't miss the last part. For he careth for you. Now, I want to make sure you underscore what he's saying here. Yes, he cares for you in that he loves you. He has compassion on you. He has strong emotions for you. That's part of what he's talking about. But there's also a sense in which that word is talking about being a caretaker for you. He is taking care of you. He is actually in the position of caring, meaning he is solving for the problems. Did you know that thing you're worried about or just started worrying about? God's been taking care of it for a long time now. It didn't just occur to him. He's been thinking about it. If I'll use the human sense, he's been worrying about it. He doesn't worry, you understand. But, but he's been worrying about it for a long time. You just thought of it. It just occurred to you. <laughs> but it's been on God's mind for a long time because he careth for you. He is actively taking care of the situation not only is it arrogant to handle it ourselves, in fact, I would argue it's even dangerous because he's already handling it. You need to submit to God's working because you actually run the risk of working against God when you're trying to solve it yourself. The example that comes to mind was something that happened just not too long ago, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, I'd asked some of the folks that I knew, I said, hey, do y'all have a, a big tall ladder? Because I need to go clean out my gutters in my my house, a two story house. And Matt Ford, he said, Yeah, I got a thirty-six something, I mean just ginormous, ridiculously large ladder. It was more than what I needed, but it was what I needed. And he said, I'll let you borrow it. And I said, That's great. Could you whenever you get a chance, just bring it by and he did. And me and Eli were going to do it. Of course Matt helpfully put that thing up against the house where it was supposed to go. So I was able to go right up that ladder, clean out that one section of the gutters. And then we get down, of course Matt's gone by this point, and me and Eli are gonna move it over. I don't know if you ever try to move a 36-foot ladder. That thing is heavy. And it's not heavy here. It's heavy way up there. <laughs> and me and Eli are trying to move this thing over inch by inch, you know, just trying to get over, which is fine until we get to the front of the house, which we have some steps going up right in the middle of the front of the house, some steps going up, and there's this huge window. It's probably about yay wide, and about as tall as I am. And I could just see that ladder, which we've been it's been going like this the whole time. I could just see it slamming into that big old glass window. Now, I'm telling you all that because what's in my mind is I'm trying to prevent that from happening. Eli's not thinking about this. He's just trying to do what we've been doing, move it down the road. We're fighting against each other whether we knew it or not. If y'all had been by my house about that time, you would have thought I had lost my religion because I did for a brief moment of time. Poor Eli, he's just trying to help me, and I'm hollering and screaming at him. We're fighting and fussing, and I just see that thing going closer to that window. We ultimately just end up throwing it to the ground and stopping and looking at each other and saying, man, we've got to work together on this thing. Long story short, no windows were broken. Everything's fine. But coming back to what I'm trying to get you, as I think sometimes we do that with God, God's perfectly in control. He doesn't need my help. In fact, he's probably even, in fact, he's actually doing me a favor to let me be, if you will, in the game. But I just need to say, God, what you want me to do? And he might say, stand over there and watch me do it. He might say, come up here and hold this thing. He might, I don't know what he's gonna do, but you need to stop working and to solve the problem because you've got a God who's already on the case. And we can often undermine, we can often do damage by not doing that. He says, don't be so arrogant, verse 6 and 7. But he also says in verse 8, he says, don't let the devil rattle you. Now, now I want to read the verse with me, if you would. He says to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. So he does acknowledge that the devil is an adversary. He is opposing us. He is against us. So there is a, there's this idea that he's, this idea of an adversary. He is, the Bible calls him, the great accuser like a, an opposition, maybe a, 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 a defense, not a defense attorney, the, uh, the other one, the uh, prosecutor. Thank you. Good night. My mind just went away. The prosecutor, like the prosecutor who is finding the case, building the case, throwing that case against the person that is accused. And that's what the devil wants to do is he is our opposition. He is against us. So we have a very real enemy. I don't want to suggest, and Peter's not suggesting that the devil's not real, that the devil's a wimp, that the devil is a pushover. No, no, no. He is our adversary. He is the devil, he says, and he is as a roaring lion. I I was reading something about this idea of a roaring lion, and I didn't realize this, but a lion's roar apparently can be heard many miles away, many, many miles away. And it is a deafening roar, apparently. Again, I've not been thankfully that close to one myself, but, uh, but it's apparently a very deafening roar. And it's intentional because what that lion is trying to say when he does that is he is trying to make sure anybody in his path knows he's there. He wants them to have fear in their heart. He is intentionally sending a message that, listen, you better look out because I'm a lion and I'm coming after you. And you know, the devil's the same way. He is a roaring lion. He is threatening us and he is intending to induce fear in our hearts. And more, furthermore, if we're smart like those gazelles that hear that line, we ought to run the other way. Unfortunately, some of us are too dumb to do that, but that's what we ought to do. We ought to run the other way. But he says he has a, a roaring lion, but he's not just walking around roaring. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's trying to devour us. He wants to destroy us. And he wants to destroy you spiritually, yes, but he wants to destroy us physically as well. I believe the devil, is—he's certainly, he certainly wants you to sin. He certainly wants to get you away from church. He certainly wants you to be, to be depressed. He certainly wants those things. But you know what the devil also is okay with as well? He's fine if you eat yourself into an early grave, smoke yourself into an early grave, drink yourself into an early grave. He's fine if you corrupt your body with sexual impurity. He's good with you doing anything, that, whatever it could take for you physically and spiritually and mentally to be destroyed. Which is why, coming back in verse 8, he does say, be sober and be vigilant. Be sober and be vigilant. Can, can I put it to you this way? If you're looking out for something... You're not surprised when it shows up. You're ready for it. Do you understand that? Unfortunately, too many of us Christians are surprised when the devil shows up. The problem is, Peter even says in chapter 4, verse 12, about persecution, not about the devil there. But he says, don't be surprised. Don't be be shocked when this stuff happens. This This is who the devil is. Don't be rattled by him. Don't be upset by him. Don't be saying, oh my goodness, the devil's after me. Yeah, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You just happen to be on his on his list today. I'll be on his list tomorrow. That's, this one will be on his list the next day. He's he's that's what he does. Don't be rattled by it, but instead be sober, be vigilant, take him seriously because he is an adversary. He will destroy you, but don't let him surprise you. Goodness no you know what happens to Christians. Well, it's really to all people, but we're talking to Christians right now, so we we'll are talking about what Christians do. We do what the disciples did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus brings them, and he says, hey, fellas, would you watch here and pray? And they kind of get all comfortable. Jesus comes back, and they're falling asleep. They're asleep. Now, why does that happen? I can't fall asleep unless I'm comfortable, right? I'm Everything feels good. But if I'm disturbed in my soul if i'm on the lookout for something if i'm watching something i'm not falling asleep i'm alert i'm sober i'm vigilant this is what he's saying here you need to be sober and vigilant going on to say in verse nine he says whom speaking of the devil resists steadfast in the faith you need to have your faith focused in the right direction know that you have a awful terrible terrible adversary in the devil but you have faith in someone so much stronger So you're looking out. You're not rattled by the devil. You're not rattled by what's going on. But instead, you're recognizing that the devil does what the devil does. And you have your faith in the Lord. So he says, don't let the devil rattle you. Next he says, go to verse 9, don't lose heart. He's talking about there in verse 9 about to resist the devil in faith. And the reason we can do this is knowing that the same afflictions, the same stuff that you're dealing with, are accomplished. The idea there is that it also happens to. It is accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Say it to you another way, you're not alone. You're not the only person that's ever gone through whatever it is you're going through. You're not the only person. Now, sometimes that may not feel like a very strong comfort, but I think it ought to be a strong comfort that nothing in this world is ever brand spanking new. It's new to you, it's new to me, but it's not new new. C- could I ask you to turn back for just a minute to the book of Hebrews, just about 3 or 4 pages, depending on how big your Bible is, about 3 or 4 pages to the left, uh to Hebrews chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 11. I want to ask you to turn there in Hebrews chapter 11 and look with me in verse 32. If you know Hebrews 11, you know this is what's often called the hall of faith. It is this list of people who had strong faith in God. And as you look through this list, and there's a lot of names you know, Abraham and Moses and other people. But he goes down in verse 32, and he's just kind of wrapping up, and he says there's a whole lot of other names. This is what he says in verse 32, Hebrews 11:32. 32. He says, And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of, Bar- of Barak and Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So there's a whole bunch of other people I could talk to you about but I'm running out of time. Verse 33 he's just summarizing what they've endured. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to f- Turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. They, there's some people, some faithful, godly men and women throughout history. He's at this point, of course, talking about the Old Testament, but I would say if, the, if and I don't, I'll say it another way, I would say that you could say the same sorts of things about men and women that were Christians through the ages from this time to the present. There have been many that have gone through these things. Which is why he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, because of that, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We've got all these people watching. We've got all these people telling us what, we, what, what they have endured in the past. He says, because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. I believe that sin is a faithlessness. That specific sin, that's what I believe the interpretation of this would be, that God, or the, the Scripture here is telling us we need to put aside faithlessness because we've got men and women around us that are testifying us to the faithfulness of God. We need to put that easily besetting sin aside, and let's run with patience the race that's set before us. So you're not alone. God's people have always endured suffering, so now's the time to stand firm like they did. Now's the time to deal with things the way they did, which is letting, set aside those weights and then what does he say in verse 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, these believers in times past, they knew that there was, at this point he's talking about Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to a day when a Messiah would come and would save them from their sins, who would die on a cross for them. They were looking forward to that. They were looking unto Jesus. You and I, we know that he has done that, but we nonetheless are looking unto Jesus in the same way. So we don't need to lose heart. Instead, no, we are not alone. Our, our, our brothers and sisters have been this way before. We've not been this way before, but they have. What did they do? They put their faith in Jesus, and they look to Jesus. So we don't need to let the devil rattle us. We don't need to lose heart, and we do not need to be so arrogant about this thing. Come back to 1 Peter 5. Because I want to make sure I don't, lo- don't want to leave you just on a, on a note of commands. Here's stuff you need to do. The Bible is, does have things we need to do, but it always r- grounds it in a truth of a reason, an inspiration, a motivation. And I want to show you that motivation in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, The reason that you need to not be so arrogant, not let the devil rattle you, and not lose heart, is because the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He's going to tell us what that God has done, but let me just paint this point to you. You have been called, if you're a Christian, by a gracious and loving God. He has called you. And he does say there that that he is a good God. He has called us. And he does say in the next phrase, after that ye have suffered a while. He says you might have to suffer a while. But don't miss, it's a while. It's not forever forever. It's not, a lo- not even all that long. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, it is a light affliction, which is, but for a moment it worketh a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So this is for a little while. And then when, that, when that's over, there's something glorious that's going to come. We've got something great to look forward to. And he says there, this God who's called you after you suffered a while, look what he's going to do. He's going to make you perfect, establish, strengthen. And settle you. Do you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna make everything right. Right now, it feels a little out of joint. And if it don't feel out of joint right now, it's gonna feel out of joint at some point in your life, and it's felt out of joint at some point in the past. I can guarantee you. I mean, this is the way the world works. It's gonna feel out of joint from time to time, it's gonna feel all jacked up, it's gonna feel messed up, it's gonna feel wrong. But what our God does is He puts everything right, He's gonna make us perfect everything is going to be perfectly in its place, where it's supposed to be. He is going to establish us, firmly put us where we're supposed to be. He is going to strengthen us where we are. He's going to make sure that we can stand where we're supposed to stand. He's going to strengthen, build us up, and he is going to settle us to know that the foundation we're sitting on is absolutely the right foundation. Everything that is wrong is going to be made right. I want to read to you this verse that has meant a lot to me in the last couple of weeks. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither shall be, there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And God says, behold, I make all things new. That's what God does. He makes everything right. He sets it in order. By the way, can I just remind you? That's not you that fixes everything, so don't be so arrogant. It's not what the devil is doing, so don't let the devil rattle you. The devil, he can't fix or break anything. He can't do anything God's not going to let him do, so don't let him rattle you. And it may get tough. It may get tougher than it already has been, but no matter how tough it gets, Do not lose heart because it is settled. It is a foregone conclusion that God is going to set everything right. He will make all things new. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that does something for me. It does something for me. And I hope I can encourage you with those thoughts. You're in the middle of this. Just get off your high horse. God's got it. You're in the middle of this. Don't let the devil shake you. Just watch out for him. Just put your faith in God. God. And don't lose heart. We've been this way. Our God's people have been this way before. You haven't. I haven't. But God's people have, and He's always been faithful. Trust Him. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at McConnell Road Baptist dot o-r-g